Is your business stuck? Tired of leaving money on the table? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Join us as we dive deep into the small business secrets successful entrepreneurs are implementing to see massive results. This is the Business Growth Hacks Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing. Here's your host, Andrew Brockenbush. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the show. John, what's going on, my friend? Oh, man. I missed you on this podcast lately. I've been yeah, same, chasing man. down technical same. issues we've, over here. We've not, been, we've not been talking as much lately because, you know... I've been being more nerdy. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. You know, sometimes we got to take a break from uh, the normal and just kind of shake it up a little bit. So, speaking of, we've got a great guest in store today. Kate DeLeo's branding approach is rooted in her firm belief that brand is the path of least resistance to revenue. She teaches you how to eliminate complex and ineffective brand storytelling by delivering a simple yet provocative message that tells prospects what you do, how you solve their problem, and how you differ from the competition. And the outcome, brand conversations that convert, which is what we're all aiming for. Kate is honored to have partnered with more than 200 brands across 20 sectors. She's passionate about helping organizations craft messaging that brings more prospects to the table, more users who click, and more customers who buy. And her book, Muting the Megaphone, Stop Telling Stories and Start Having Conversations, is set to be released in July of this year. Kate, welcome to the show. Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm very excited to be talking with you. I'm a total branding nerd, so I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I've been doing branding and marketing now for, in March of next year, it will be 10 years, which is hard to believe, but a long time. So like we always do, we're going to kick things off with an icebreaker. All right, let's do it. Yo, VIP. Let's kick it. All right, so if money wasn't an issue... What would you do with all of your time? All right. My ideal lifestyle, and I set this as a vision for myself before I started my business, was to work 20 to 30 hours a week from anywhere in the world. I'll never stop doing something that delivers impact, but I want to do it from a beach. I want to do it from Italy. I want to do it from Spain. I want to do it from Scandinavia. And so for me, the ideal lifestyle is parking myself for one or two months at a time all around the world to really experience those cultures and to get to know people there and live life. I was thinking the same thing. Like I think travel (laughs) for me would be like number one priority. I took a backpacking trip accidentally. I don't know if that's even like a thing. So I was on a trip with some friends and it was – so it's like some friends of mine, they have like a younger son who I say younger, he's like in his 20s now. But at the time he was like graduating high school and for his graduation gift, they got him a backpacking trip with him and his friend. And they also needed one chaperone to go with them on his backpacking trip through Glacier National Park. And the girl who was going to be the chaperone kind of like, I don't want to say chickened out, but she kind of did. She was kind of a little bit worried about like how physically right. fit you would need to be to handle something like mm-hmm. that. And by no means was I like in the best shape of my life, but I was like, I would never turn down an opportunity to do something like that. Like, I'm just going to make it happen. And so they paid for me to go on this backpacking trip through Glacier National Park with them. And seriously, I did this trip like six or seven years ago and it's all I can think about. It's like all I talk about still because it was just so amazing. Best backpacking or experience similar to backpacking was I went to Iceland and – 
got a camper van and you drive the island in a camper van and just camp overnight at these parks and, you know, with everybody else in their camper vans and then go hike and you hike up these like, oh my God, it was unbelievable. Like where else in the world can you do those kinds of adventures? And it's so beautiful. It's I love so, it. I mean, that is one place in the world. Andrew, if you haven't been, John, if you haven't been, you have to go and you have to go for at least like a couple weeks. Like I went for like seven days and it was not enough. Like I, that is absolutely on my list for the next five years to get back for probably two to three weeks. How about you, John? What do you got, man? I think I do like a Johnny Appleseed thing, but with podcast studios, just go yes. around the whole country, just planning podcast studios everywhere, like self-service stuff where you could just come in and it uploads to a network and you're done. <laughs> That is cool. I like the idea. Like, I love podcasting. I don't right. always love the work side of podcasting. It's <laughs> yes. fun. Like, I'm glad we. I'm glad we do it. But I just enjoy these conversations. Like, I love meeting people, and I think that part of that's just like that extroverted personality, you know, of just like wanting to meet people and create relationships and stuff like that. So. I'm with you there, John. I think building more relationships, which comes with traveling. I think that's what's so fun about it traveling is, mm-hmm. is that the experiences and the people and all that you to make. I lived in an yeah. RV for a year, Kate. So uh. I don't like – that's not like out there on the internet. Like I'm not one of these like traveling RV gurus, but it's I lived dream. in an RV for <laughs> actually two years, two whole years. Oh, I do it. RV life. But I didn't it have is, kids. 100%. There's some challenges, like, you know, challenges, like, it's like, okay, the shower is a little small and the pressure is not as good as you'd like. And you got to, like, empty the poo tank every week. First but, like, world problems. that stuff, you know, it's like small problems in the grand scheme. I mean, scheme. honestly, like, I was like, if I did not have kids, you guys, I would totally have a tiny home that's, like, custom built or I would have, like, a sprinter van that I decked out, you know yes. what I mean? Like, I'd probably do the sprinter van just for, like – Me too. Like – if it was, I have, I have two big dogs and that was hard. They can get up mountains, eat oh. all the stuff in them. You can carry your skis and all your gear in it. Anyway, we could talk for years on this, but like I, yes. I seriously spent a year researching how to deck out a sprinter van. And if you haven't caught it, there's a couple really good shows on HGTV and Magnolia Network that totally deck yep. out these sprinter vans. And I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with them. We've watched them all. Are you really? We totally. Yes, like because it's actually a whole long story that we probably shouldn't tell. But in real quick short, I moved to Nashville. I lived there for a year. I stopped to use the restroom at this like outdoor adventure store. And when I was there, there was this like Overland RV trailer, which was like, you know, kind of this small pop-up thing. And it was like a giveaway. You enter your email address online. I won the thing. Like I won it. And so I had to like watch all these YouTube videos on how to survive living in a tiny vehicle because I had two big dogs, myself, my girlfriend, and our two giant dogs. And I was like, how are we going to live in this? And we did. We lived in it for like a week before we were like, this is too small. We need like a full-size RV. But it was still Van amazing. Go. Van Gogh. Have you guys seen the show Van Gogh? Not that Van- one, no. Oh, 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 my God. Okay. So Van, V-A-N, and then just go. So they're doing a play on words. Okay hilarious these guys crack me up they're in austin texas you have to watch this show fabulous it's on the magnolia network so if you get like the membership for like discovery plus you can watch it yeah yeah okay we're gonna check that out there you go well let's branch let's kick this interview off great question (laughs) we now we all know that we should just end the podcast here and take a trip together somewhere fun we're going to start the first ever backpacking podcast. But when I say backpacking podcast, it won't be a podcast about backpacking. It will be backpacking and podcasting at the same time. We will Why interview we people along our pack. journey. And then we backpack yeah, around see? the world and interview great brands mm-hmm. around the world. Brand in a pack like, or something like that. Let's, let's do, do it. it. 
Let's do it. We're making it happen. It's it's said. It's set here. Well, speaking of brand and branding, this is like it's your bread and butter. It's your baby. It's what you do. You are a self-proclaimed accidental brand (laughs) strategist. What does that mean? How are you an accidental brand strategist? Okay, so I'm 36. I'm an older millennial. You guys, am I the only one that like fell into what we're doing now? Like I feel like (laughs) I just, you know, listen, I had graduated when the market crashed, okay? And I had planned to do a PhD in cultural and linguistic anthropology. I really wanted to teach. I had such a passion for it. And anthropology is all about culture and our perception of reality. And in particular, linguistic anthropology is all about how does language shape culture and how does culture shape language? Well, here's the deal. That was my passion. But when the market crashed, I had a professor that was like, hey, I know you're going to try and start graduate work, but candidly, like, we don't really know where this field is going to be. I just recommend you go and get a day job. Go pay off your debt. So I did. I left academia. My, God bless my Italian father and my mother. They were like, please leave our house and pay off your debt. We love you, but you need to go now. And you so like, go. yeah, bye. So like, you know, I went and I just, guys, I dove into sales. So my whole career started in sales. And it was actually in my sales journey of getting thrown to the fishes a little bit where oh, yeah. I had to like make or break it, like make quota or you're out of a job. I really learned the power of delivering a very simple, provocative brand pitch that kept people on the phone and wanting to talk to me. So it was really, for a long story short, that was the beginning of my career in branding. It actually worked so well, the formula I had created at the time, that I got recruited out to go build brands in the agency world and in corporate America. And then I, you know, Andrew, I was like, I was a side hustler. I was doing this business for about seven, eight years on the side, you guys. And then three years ago, I went full time. So I went full time hustler at that point. And, and nice. went out on my own. How was that pivot from anthropology to marketing and branding, which is like, to be honest, like it's pretty oversaturated. Like what yeah. we do as an industry, like everyone is a brand expert. Oh everyone's a web designer. Everyone's a Facebook ads genius. Like, which I mean, you and I know that that's not necessarily true when we get down to the like in the weeds, but like big picture, it kind of is. So like, right. how was that pivot? You know, I thought it was going to be how do I say more choppy than it really was? It was a pretty smooth transition for me. I think part of this was because first off, I was smart enough and grateful enough to learn and actually listen to my dad's advice to always know a few things going out of college that set up my career. And those pieces of advice were never burn a bridge. You live and die by your Rolodex and you have to know how to sell something. I don't care what you study, Kate. I remember him telling me you have to know how to sell something. So I, I followed that practice. But in the start of my career and even until now, anthropology really has filtered into every facet of the work that I do. I think what anthropology does is it teaches you to be very, very curious and not take things for granted from your own perspective. What happens a lot of times in marketing is we look at it from our view instead of looking at it from the buyer's perspective or from the customer's perspective. So it certainly has served me well, and it's part and parcel of the whole way that I approach my work now is taking that lens. But yeah, it was. I think it's just kind of infiltrated into what I do now. I'm glad to hear that because it's like that's such an important. I feel like that career path is like really important, and it, there's yeah. like a lot of amazing things that happen within it. And so it's cool to hear that that's like still a part of like I guess your core belief system and maybe like the way you handle business because it's like. I would almost think that you might miss it, you know? I miss te- – I mean, I, I, here's the deal. Like, I knew that I wanted to teach, right? I never in a million yeah. years would have thought that I'd be in the business world doing that. And 
In fact, I remember one day, you guys, early in my career, I got so ticked off because someone was like, oh, so you're like a business coach. I was like, I am not a coach, you know? And I got so, yeah. so upset, right? I was like, don't you dare put that title up. Stop it. And then I sat back and I was like, oh, hold on a second. Like, technically speaking, I'm writing your brand with you, but I'm coaching you on prospecting techniques and sales techniques. I'm talking you through implementation on marketing. I'm helping you unpack your vision and your core values around what you're even trying to accomplish in the world as an individual, as an entrepreneur, as a leader. And I go, crap, that's coaching, right? And the same thing applied with education. I didn't even realize I'm a teacher Yeah. in my space. I just did never connect it in my brain. For sure. So... The word branding is pretty uh, – one of those loose phrases. You know, it's like, oh, you mean like a logo? No, I do not mean a logo. Yeah. So how would you define branding okay. or how do you define branding? Now, wait, wait, wait. Don't get into your brand trifecta yet. I'm not. Because I'm not, that, I'm not, I'm not. that is just – that's like where your gold is at. So I want to make sure that we like – we got to hold some of that, right, Kate? All right, all right, so how right. do you define branding? All right, all right. No, you guys, can I just call it out that like whenever people hear the word branding, oh my God, the first thing we're like, wah, wah, such fluff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, and exactly. especially yeah. with a lot of my clients that are technical clients, I work with a ton of startup founders that are in the tech space. They're amazing. They're brilliant. They're innovative. And they're like, that sounds like the most boring, terrible thing ever, Kate. Like branding, like I do not have time for this crap is literally the response, right? Okay, here's my philosophy. I am such a pragmatist at my core. My serious philosophy, you guys, on what brand is, is that your brand is your path of least resistance to revenue. Said differently, the job of your brand message is to get more of the right prospect to the right table at the right time. And the way that your brand does that is to simply, in 15 to 20 seconds, tell people three big things. What you do, how you solve their problem, and how you're different. That is the power of the brand. Preach. Preach, sister. (laughs) <laughs> it does not have to be overly complex. It is relatively simple, right? When you really kind yeah. of distill it down to like what I think branding really is. I mean, to that note, I mean, how important is a brand's tone of voice and personality when crafting messaging, when crafting website copy, when mm-hmm. writing blogs, when podcasting, whatever? Like how important is that? You know, it's really important. I get asked this question like, well, why do you spend so much time on the front of this project, Kate? Like talking about tone of voice and brand personality and brand archetypes and all the fluff stuff. Oh my gosh, I have a client right now. God bless them. I love them. They're bulldogs from New York City. They run a venture capital fund. And they told me at the beginning of this project, they're like, I do not have time for creative stuff. I do not have time for fluff. I'm like, I got you. Don't worry. But we get into this. I said, you're going to give me 20 minutes of time on the beginning of this call. And we're going to talk about tone of voice. And they rolled their eyes. But here's the deal. They were so excited coming on the end of it because what I got them to understand is this. The tendency when you're writing brand is, we all know this. If you were told, like, write something, you're going to write these super long corporate like, verbose sentences. And the only way to make sure that your brand really sounds like something that would actually come out of your mouth and it's not just like cool stuff on a website is if you have the tone of voice down. That is so important. It's like saying if we're a blue pen, we can't write in a red pen. So story storytelling or conversations in brand communications? Because for me, like that's, I'll be honest, like I have like a place for both of them, right? Like I think conversationalist is like what I naturally do, obviously. But I do think that there's something like magical about storytelling. So which one right. do you think is more important? Conversations. Let me explain. Okay. So let me be super blunt. Donald Miller came out with StoryBrand. 
Brilliant. Love the concept, right? Like when we understood what Donald Miller was trying to break down, which was that it's really about putting the customer at the heart of the story at really at the center of what you're doing. It was like, that's beautiful. That's amazing. Here's the problem though. Many marketers took that and ran with it in a very (laughs) negative way, like storytelling. And they made it all about themselves. Then we're going to write a story about us. And I think what I just want to clarify is that and in fact, my book is all about this too, is like, here's the deal. The problem with storytelling is that it's a one-way monologue. Where mm. does that actually yeah. give your customer room to interact and engage? The way that I teach brand is to layer each sentence of your brand in such a way that it actually creates a conversation, subliminally or aloud. One of the two. To me, brand is all about a conversation where as you bring them down the buyer journey based on buyer psychology and they read your tagline and then they read the value proposition sentence and then they read the differentiators, they are answering within their mind what they need to get answered to get to the point of conversion. That's why it's really powerful to have a brand that is a conversation because you're no longer putting them in this position to just sit back and listen. You're actually putting them in a position to act. Mm. That's good. You done schooled me. You done schooled me. <laughs> All right. I'm going to put myself on the chopping block. All right. Second, go for it. Kate. You spent some time on my website, maybe only two minutes, maybe 30. I don't know. Either way, when you were on my website, the small amount of content that you might have skimmed across or read, how did we do from a communication standpoint? Do you have a fair answer for me yet? If we do that, we'd have to pull up the site and I can walk you through it because I don't know if our listeners are going to fully understand. I think you've actually done a really good job. What you don't may not realize is that you are pretty conversational in your language without even realizing it. Um, the for tendency sure. for a lot of people is that they have paragraph upon paragraph of content. You don't do that. So one of the nice things about the way that you've structured it is you have crisp sentences. You have shorter lines. And from a marketing perspective, we can call those things what? H1, H2, H3 tags, right? We call them like yeah, exactly. headlines. Okay, so if we think about the logistics of writing a brand on a website, I want people to get their arms around the fact that uh, the use of headlines is really imperative, and then the actual physical space between those lines is really imperative to give breathing room for the person to respond and then do the next thing. So you've actually done a really good job. Now, if you wanted us to go into the nitty-gritty, pull up the URL and we can dissect it. (laughs) Let's not today, Kate. No, no. We'll have another call, Kate, so that you can tell me where I can improve, and I am always looking to improve. And vice versa. You guys are brand experts as well. I think that's so fun. Like I think storytelling is cool and I think there's a place for storytelling in branding, especially when it comes to like maybe certain communication verticals like video and stuff like that. Yes. But I also do love the fact that like – I love the fact that you said you like kind of left room for people to have the ability to have a two-way conversation. Like it is the ability to involve the customer. It Well, and here's what I want to say. So stories, for example, are important. So you talk about the use of video. Absolutely, that's such a great place for a story. But when you think about when you're ready to listen to somebody's explainer video on a website, is it the first thing that you do? No. What happens is, is you're still waiting to get the promise of tell me what you do, tell me how you solve my problem, tell me how you're different. And then I'm willing to go in deeper and learn about your products and services. When we talk about the point of conversion, all we're really saying is psychologically, your buyer's not ready to care about your services yet. They're not ready to care about your stories. They're not ready to read your whole about section or understand how why you started the company until you can answer those other three things in that first 20 seconds. And I think as long as we can just recognize that, this frees us up to understand where does story have a place and where does brand conversation have a place? You lead with brand conversation and recognize 
once that person goes, yep, I'm ready to know the next layer, that's when they click to go to your about page. They're going to look at your products and services and see all the cool charts and videos and features and benefits. That's when you start to get into the next layer of detailed content. Does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. A hundred percent. There was a website back in the day. I can't even remember what they were. It was, it was one of those like online business funding companies like Lending Tree or Fundbox, somebody like that. And they had done such a phenomenal job of that. They had written questions and structured each of their pages, like even in their navigation, so that they had put obviously you got your drop down navigations where it's like about us, services, you know, what we do, how we help, yeah. you know, whatever. The way they structured their pages is at the end of every page, kind of towards the bottom near the footer, they had actually taken you from that content that you had just read into that next page. Isn't that great? Like, and I was like, oh, like you were just pulling me along. Like you were taking me through that, that full like customer journey. Which was nice because like I went through the I, I feel like I went through the information they intended me to that's go through. That's exactly the right. That's exactly right. In fact, one of the things that's fascinating when we talk about to the, the changes in the digital economy and in the marketing space in the last three years, I would say especially, is you guys remember when click funnels came out, right? Everybody builds these yep. big old sales oh, funnel pages. Old remember like the long yeah. <laughs> super long form sales letter copy forms, pages? Right. Yeah. Like I could go off for days, right? Okay. So here's the thing that served a purpose. I understand that people still use those types of landing pages for specific landing pages. We talk about you have a particular product, you are trying to have bumpers and offers and all these things to increase conversions and just, you know, all these layers. I understand that. Here's the thing though. 95% of the people that I run into, if they're, especially if they're in a service-based industry and even B2C, it doesn't always serve you. And so when you think about the basic structure of a website, your homepage being your prime real estate, less is more. Mm, Really, I want people to look at my homepage and click to go to the next step, not feel like they're getting confused the further on down that you take them on a homepage. And so we have actually seen a trend. I don't know if you've noticed this, especially with SEO. We're finding like the old SEO gurus of 2011 are coming back and going, I told you so, which is that go back to standard pages on topic areas, have a separate services page, have a separate about page. What you're doing is creating room and logical structure for your audience to know where they want to consume what information next. And that oh, exactly. is really I mean, important. Yeah. It's that top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel kind of like sequence, right? It's mm-hmm. like, if I'm not problem aware nor solution aware yet and you spill the beans all at once, it's like, ugh, that's overload, right? Like I want to be like ushered into that. Like, hey, kind of first start off by like that. I used to work for Apple and one of like our little sayings at Apple was like the three A's, acknowledge, align, assure, right? Yep. Acknowledge that there's a challenge, align with them. Like, hey, I totally understand and assure them like, hey, we've got a solution for you. That's the same thing you do with your communication as a business is to – Start with that top of the funnel. You right. know, it's people who are neither problem aware or solution aware, right? They have a pain point. Their pain point is whatever it is that you offer, right? But we want to slowly move them into the solution and then what the, you know, how you can help them solve it with free resources, with paid resources, whatever it may be. That's right. So I think that this is a good pivot point to us talking about your beautiful brand trifecta philosophy. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I call this sucker the brand trifecta. I don't care what you want to call it. But basically, the what I teach is based on simple buyer psychology, that there are the three things that somebody really needs to know in a particular order to get to the point where they care about learning about your products and service offerings. And so this is a formula. And so you love formulas. You're listening to the right podcast because it's a formula. Okay. 
A plus B plus C equals point of conversion. Here's how this works. A, tell me what you do. In the world of branding, your tagline should answer that question. I blank, I tagline. So in a conversation, imagine that John and I are in the room and John, the first thing somebody asks you, right, is like, oh, what do you do? I build brands that win more work. That's my tagline. Now, it's not pretentious. Minnesota, nice, everybody in the Midwest is like, oh, that's so cocky. No, it's not. It's provocative, but it's true. I build brands that win more work. And you're like, oh, interesting. Okay, well, hold on. What do you mean by that? In fact, if you've ever heard somebody tell you what you do with a great tagline and it compels you to ask the question, they got you. They have a great tagline then. Ooh, that's good. That's spicy. So then what? So the second piece in the formula then is after you tell them what you do with the tagline, the second thing you've got to serve up to that prospect is tell them how you solve their deepest level heart pain. Tell them how you solve their problem. And this in the world of branding is what we call a value proposition statement. And we hear this term thrown around all the time. Okay. The way that I help people create value proposition statements is it's really calling out like, here's the truth. Here's how we solve that pain. So sometimes it's even two sentences that work together. And have you all ever been to a website and you go, oh my gosh, they read my mail. Have you ever like experienced that? Like, mm. Their value proposition statement is so on point. They get you at an emotional level. Notice how here at two stages in, I haven't said we offer this service. Ooh, I told you what I do. And you're like, what do you mean by that, Kate? What do you mean you build brands that win more work? And then I go, oh, well, what I mean by that is I have a belief that business is a conversation and not a transaction. Here's the thing. Most businesses struggle to create conversations that convert. And that's where I'm going to help you. My job as a strategist is to come in, help you build a message that builds compelling common ground with your audiences. So that ultimately, you guys, that they buy from you versus the competition. That's my job. It's the value prop. All right. So this is the most important thing that I don't want you guys to miss. At this point in the dialogue, or if they're reading your website and they see my tagline and then they see my value prop, most of us as marketers would say, fantastic, Andrew's so ready to know about my amazing brand program. Incorrect. Do you guys know why? I just created- Probably. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> no, you're good. Go for it. I just created crazy confusion in your brains. So here's what happens. Okay. This is just basic psychology. The brain just, your brain's short-circuiting going, who's this crazy curly-haired chick that says she builds brands that win more work and she's telling me that she can get my audiences to buy from me versus the competition, right? So when your brain takes in new data, a new message that's never heard, compelling or otherwise, you know what the brain does to make sense of it? So actually, here's what's happening. You're going to compare me to the competition or to something you already know. And most of us will say, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Oh, no, no. I want the comparison to happen. So the response that I usually get verbally at this point is imagine you're like there and you're like, so, okay, so let me get this straight. Like, are you like a copywriter or like an agency or like a graphic designer? Like you're trying to make sense of it, right? And I go, oh yeah. my God, guys, great question. I'm a little different. Here's how. I have a singular focus. I have an educational approach. Like boom, 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 boom. Differentiators. And then you go, oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay, got it. So Kate, so how does that work or what does that look like? Like, how do you work with people then? And ding, 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 you just hit the conversion point. When somebody asks you the how, what question, they are finally saying to you, 
Tell me how you deliver on that promise. What packages, what pricing, what inclusions, what features and benefits, what do I get? It's where they watch the explainer video. It's where they click to go to the services or products page. All I'm trying to get this, you guys to understand is they're just not ready to convert yet until you've told them those three things. Brand trifecta, what you do, tagline, how you solve their problem, value prop, how you're different differentiators. And if you can get them through that in 15 to 20 seconds, whether it's in a conversation in the Zoom room or on the homepage of your website, you will bring your prospect to the point of conversion to take the next step. Mm. Oh, girl, you got me. This has got me pumped up because I just think that that's such a like, ah, it just it's a bait and hook. Right. But like not in a bad way. It's just like you did not ever have to like spill all the things that you do and how you're better than so and so and how you do this, this, this. You never did any of that. You got to the point of where they were asking you what you did. And how they could work with you, you know, like that for me is just like, if every, if the only thing you take away from this podcast episode <laughs> is the beauty of the brand trifecta, then you've got the business growth hack today. And you know, hey, you've accomplished something. Congratulations. I love that, that is crazy. <laughs> so, know, okay. Let ahead. me ask you this. Yeah, yeah. What do you think is the single most important thing that organizations should focus on if they're planning on rebranding or mm -hmm. if they're planning on recrafting their brand messaging, what is the thing that they should be focused on most? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So where I tend to spend the most time on the front end with my clients is when we go through this process, we certainly talk about tone of voice, what problem are you solving? We talk about them, right? Here's what's really fascinating. I do not spend any time talking about competitors. And somebody asked me this earlier, you used to like, how's your brand playbook changed, Kate? And I was like, it's like the document that I use, right? And I was like, well, I cut it from like 40 pages down to 30 pages. And they're like, okay, what else, what parts did you cut out? And I cut out some different things. And one of them was I'd ask zero questions about competitors anymore. And I'll tell you why. Candidly speaking, at this point, when you're looking at your brand, I think you need to stop worrying about what your competition is doing and really authentically own what you're doing. And you actually know in your brain, quite frankly, without having to go do a competitive analysis, what you're doing better than the competition. And that's actually what you need to focus on. The second piece, though, that is the most critical is doing a deep dive analysis of who you're actually targeting and why. And this often gets overlooked. We go, well, we go for mid-sized manufacturers. And I go, okay, that's great, Bob. But if you walk into a room of 100 C-suite leaders of 100 mid-sized manufacturers, how do you know the 10, 20, or 30 whose business cards you need to get? Imagine you're in that room. What psychographics do you have to have listened? What are you listening for? What are you sniffing for for symptoms of pain? So a lot of times when we create buyer personas, we're creating the baseline of demographics. And I want people to move beyond that and get into the psychographics, decision-making, level of bureaucracy, communication style of the leadership team, levels of pain they're experiencing that you can directly solve. I want to know where they spend their money. If it's a B2C product, where do these people shop? Where do they eat? Where do they sleep? Are they middle class? Are they lower class? Like you have to get that stuff dialed in so that the moment that you're on a call with a prospect... You're delivering the right pitch to the right person at the right time. And you cannot create your message, you guys, until you understand who you're going after and who has the highest level of pain and the highest likelihood of converting. Because great brands do not speak to everybody. You are not in the business of convincing. You are in the business of converting. Your brand's job is to not get everybody to like you and love you. That's BS. Your job is to deliver a singular message to a specific group of people that actually need what you offer. And if you do a really good job penetrating that particular market, other people will find you and like you and your market share will expand. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Very well said. Yeah, that's 
So that's something I feel like as a branding agency, we do really well. That piece, that piece is like, it's where we start always in like that deep dive of the customer persona and your ideal avatar, but like deeper than like your average brand consultant would do where it's like, okay, you know, here's these three things about this person. It's like, no, like if you're not talking about your brand avatar, your persona in the decisions you make as a business, totally. you're failing. And I failed as a brand agency. I love right? that. Like, yeah, you should be making the, like, and we just did a big branding project for a wealth management firm. And it's so funny because they like think it's hokey when we do it. And then you hear them talking about it later and you're like, see, told you. Oh, well, like, super it's empowering important. to them, isn't it? When you realize like, oh my gosh, we don't have to serve everybody. You're telling That's me right. I can grow my revenue by doing a really darn good job serving one max two groups of people that we've closely defined. Stop it. I go, yeah, you know, you know. Yeah. why do we think that we have to actually serve everybody to grow our company? That's BS. Yeah. I love the message too you have about not spending as much time at the very least on your competitors because I think a lot of times we get so focused on what they're doing that we start to pivot our own strategies because we think that that's what they're doing. We think that that's what we should be doing and we start losing sight of what we're passionate about, what we're good at, what we know we're, you know, what, where we can kill it right? just to try to compete. And it's like, you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. You don't know that they're profitable on that line item. And you have a bunch of products that start to look the same, like the same branding. Yes. Like we have a problem with that down here in Texas with a certain cooler cup combo. And there's a bunch yeah. of brands and they all look exactly the same. And they've nobody's really unique from each other in that. They all kind of say they do the same thing. And I haven't seen – you see more of those brands popping up overnight and going away than any of them are being successful. I think that's really true. And I'm just, I don't know if you've ever, you've sensed this too, but when we think about building your brand, one of the other big areas that I touch on, and I'm sure you guys do with your clients as well, is niching in. Not only niching in who you serve, but what you're offering. I think the tendency as well is that just because you can do everything for everybody and just because everybody could technically want you and need what you have to offer, doesn't mean you should do everything for everybody and doesn't mean everybody should buy from you. And most of us, like, let's really call this out as business leaders and entrepreneurs. That is scary. That is scary for us to get our arms around because the fear is that if we start to niche in on our products and services, we lose out on the impact we could have. That's a big fear for many visionaries. And the second thing is then we also fear, I think, that we're really going to lose out on revenue opportunity. And it's going to feel a bit scary and like a big risk. But at the same time, you cannot make traction in one area if you're trying to make traction in 20. It's basic laws of physics. And I think sometimes we have to get just back to the basics here of just do one or two things really, really well. And you're going to find that you have way more fun. and You're making a higher margin. And oh my gosh, it's actually easier to market those one or two things. And you find this snowball effect when you niche in. Yeah. The niche is where the rich is. Yes. I've always loved that <laughs> phrase. I've always too wanted to like, I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, but I've always thought about like each year as an agency focusing on a different niche. Yeah. Like this year, we're going to target this type of company that we've worked with in the past. Because at this point, we have worked with a little bit of everybody. But it's like, I know what my customers look like. I know what they're who they're similar to. I know what their goals and pain points and their budgets are. And so it's like, I've kind of thought about, okay, this year, let's focus all of our efforts on this industry so that we're not spending time trying to craft eight different blog posts for eight different industries. And each year over a five-year period, we could have five industries where we just like drill deep 
And now we are the expert in five industries because we've created a whole year's worth of content in each of those. So who knows if that's a good idea or a bad idea. I think it's a smart it idea fun. so long as you – so here's the way that works. So what you're telling me is – and here's how this could actually work, right? So first off, you keep your brand message aligned so that it's agnostic of industry. Unless you decide you want mm-hmm. to call out industries on your homepage. Like we serve these five industries. But most people would say we're going to keep it agnostic enough that if somebody comes from us from manufacturing, we're not – you know, great. Okay. All right. But then what you're saying is you're creating more either content strategy or promotional content that's based on a particular theme or topic area. That does make beautiful sense. So that makes sense if you're building content over there. It's the same way that in a B2C climate, what you would do is create supportive content to your brand for promotional product launches, holidays, special events, different things happening. It's the same exact model. And as long as you know that those things still filter back up to your top brand architecture and support that top level message, you're golden. Because I feel like that that's where SaaS companies struggle a lot is that they do serve a lot of industries, typical SaaS companies, technology companies, software companies, you know, serve a variety of industries. And so their, their marketing has to be pretty wide net. That's right. And which is fine, I guess. But it's like, they're wondering, like, why aren't we getting as many free trials as we want? Why aren't we getting as many demos as we want? It's like, well, because everything you're doing is a little diluted. That's right. right? Like, if you could just, like, if you focused on one industry that you know you get a lot of people in for a year, and you spent a lot of time investing in content in that space, well, then you'd get a lot of trials and demos in that space. And then next year, if you want to move on, you could. And at that point, you've created enough content that from hopefully from an SEO perspective, you've built a lot of organic traffic that will hopefully continue to perpetuate and come into the funnel that you've already built for that specific niche. You know, especially if you create some, you know, lead magnets and resources that are specific to those industries. So I think it's brilliant. You know, yeah. Thanks, Kate. I appreciate that. Spot on. Spot (laughs) on, as we say in Minnesota. So (laughs) I know that your approach to business consists of a Five different characteristics, fast, educational, transparent, singular, and actionable. And obviously, I think we all understand that these go hand in hand to make up your whole business approach. But out of those five characteristics, do you think one is the most important? I've never been asked that. That's a great question. Do I think one is most important out of all of those? Yes. The number one that is the most important is my singular focus on just messaging. And I will always, I will fly that flag to the day I die. And the reason that I say that is because... I tell you what, when you have this expertise in one area and you are so good at it, people buy expertise. They certainly buy speed. They certainly buy value. They certainly buy educational approach. They buy partnership. I get that. But those are ancillary to a level of expertise to solve a particular problem and be the best in your domain. Now, granted, there are amazing brand strategists out there outside of myself, obviously. But because I'm building my expertise and I'm so singular focused, I trust that my ability to get better is going to continue to grow. And then therefore the work that I get to do is going to continue to improve and the value that I'm going to deliver is going to continue to improve so that I will hang my hat on singular focus. Nice. I think the one that most people have the most opportunity with is actionable. Oh yes. That's the other one. That would be my number one, number two, like combo as well. Just That's because of the fact that it's me? like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's like, if you can talk about all this, it's, it's all talk. If you can't like actually, you know, have a plan, an action, you know, action plan, it is so hard, you know, to be actionable. Okay. If you're in B2B services and you're listening to this, this is where you realize you have to productize your service. So for me, the only way that I could start to really win work actually was by building a brand playbook. And I just went back to the beginning. I I remember after how many students, how many years I was like, 
I'm really flying by the seat of my pants here and I know I'm coming up with good deliverables, but I don't really have like a document or a backbone that I can use for the process. And so honestly, you guys, all I did was I pulled up Microsoft Word and I wrote a playbook that was like, what would be all the questions I'd want to get in session one? What do I want to have as like the tasks in session one and the outcomes from session one that somebody would want to get? Session two, session three, session four. What's the order of how I write this sucker? Do I start with mission, vision, values, or do I start with a tagline? And I just built it from a logic perspective. And you know what's interesting? I then included an implementation checklist and an entire appendix at the back end. And this sucker is a huge document now. People love the fact that they're buying a brand and a book. It is our process, mm. but it is their outcome. Yeah. And they can yeah. go back to that playbook every single time and build off of it. And so, yes, I think actionable is huge. Not a lot yeah. of us in the services world know how to productize. Yeah. I'm learning that even in almost 10 years doing this, like I'm still like solving for that pain, right? For myself. And so it's really cool to hear that you've got like a tangible piece of what you do. And I think that that's like great for our listeners out there who are thinking about branding. And it's like, you know, I have no problem promoting someone else who clearly is an expert and a genius in the topic of branding. Vice versa, you know, if right? You're gonna work with, yeah. If you're going to work with a brand expert, it's great to work with someone like yourself who who does have something that like serves as – I hate to call it a brand Bible, but in some ways like it is. Yeah. like It's this like living, yeah. breathing document that should help you guide and shape your business decisions. Yeah. And – most brands do not have something like that. They don't. And here's what I'll tell you. The reason I also love having a singular focus is because I used to, I was a self-taught developer. I built websites for years. I used to do all sorts of other stuff, email marketing, everything, right? I was a generalist for many years, even in my side hustle. You know, to realize though, is my business exploded when I niched in because I began to build such a rich partnership network. I began yeah. to lean on other small business owners and say, call Bob for video call Jake for this. I never take referral fees from people. I don't personally like to do that because I never want to transactionalize a relationship. I firmly believe like, listen, if I send you a client or a lead of mine, and you go make a million dollars. God bless you. If you happen to send somebody to me and I go make $10,000, I'm over the moon, right? Like I feel like here's the thing is that when you start to set yourself up with other great people that are experts in their domains, your clients get served. Those are people I have hired. I know the caliber of their work. They've hired me. Like the love goes around. Your revenue improves. Your reputation improves. So for me, niching in has been such a gift. Yeah. I love that that's your philosophy for the way you work with partners because I have another lady I've been working with for nearly my 10-year career of marketing. Her name's Carol. And she's like one of our brand strategists that works with us on branding jobs. And she feels the same way. She will not take a referral fee. She's like, I only want to send people to you because I believe in what you can do. And if at some point I don't believe in what you can do, I'm not going to send you the business. Like it is what it is. Like, but I'm not going to feel like you owe it to me or I owe it to you financially or monetarily. Like I'm sending the best expert for that specific job or that specific client. So yeah, I completely I agree. That Imagine sure. getting on a call with a partner and you just see dollar signs over their head. Well, they haven't paid me that referral fee yet. Come on. That is the worst thing you yeah. can do to relationship, right? And I, quite frankly, it's just like, I'm sure we all have made ten, twenty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000. If we took referral fees, we'd have money in our bank. Is that really the thing that makes yeah. the world go round or is creating less yeah, exactly. partnerships the thing that's going to help us fuel our business? Like yeah. how much do we trust okay. our own expertise to go and find the right clients? How much do we trust the value of the partnership? Am I really leading from a place of invitation or desperation? You know, and that's something that I think all of us as entrepreneurs have to continually gut check ourselves on every day. Mm, 
Easy. Especially whenever those months are slow and you're just oh, like, ooh, I just take... April was dead ooh. for me. April was dead. I remember I was talking about, I'm getting married like two weeks. And I, I told my fiance, I was like, what just happened? He's like, I don't know. You look, 15 leads ghosted you. I was like, this is crazy. I have never had yeah. this. And again, you know, things come around and everything. But y'all were all in positions where it's so easy to flip that mindset as an entrepreneur of going back. I got to go hustle. Tangent done. But I tell you what, that is a lesson that I have learned from some mentors of mine. Like, am I leading from desperation or invitation? And it affects my business hardcore. That really is a lot of wisdom in that because that's something we struggle with as an agency. I mean, as, even as long as we've been doing it, those months, like I'll be honest, like this quarter has been rough. Mm. Like we're all looking at each other like, what the hell's going on here? I think all of us as you marketers know? were like, it's like, oh, uh, <laughs> did somebody like, is there like a meeting that happened that we weren't invited to? Did we like, you know, and yeah, there's some yeah. webinar about the, get rid of your marketing. <laughs> and so, yeah, literally, you know, I was, I, I, apparently we all just woke up in April. We're like, oh. That's interesting. Thank you so much for letting me know that. All oh, right. Got it. Yeah. 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 Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I would have put some money away last month if I'd have known that was going to happen. So, yeah. you know, that's something we're obviously constantly kind of working on ourselves is just like reminding ourselves that just because it's slow right now doesn't mean that that's like a time to pivot necessarily, which kind of likes what you alluded to in the beginning of this episode is just the fact that like so many people want to like, you know, abandon ship right away when things start getting crazy. But it's like, if you have that singular vision and yeah. you have that singular focus, then you should kind of go back to that brand book and that brand guide and be like, oh, actually, no, this is how we do things. And we do it because it's repeatable, it works, it's effective, and it's at the core of who we are, right? I think so too. I think the process of enhancing or implementing or improving your brand, right? Whether you're going, I want to update a tagline or work on my vision statement, whatever it may be. When you go through a branding process, one of the biggest missed opportunities to realize for many of us as leaders is that this is not only an augmentation or an enhancement and an evolution of our brand, but it's an evolution point for us as people. And should we choose to accept it, when we really stand in our brand, we stand on who we are and we begin to have a newfound confidence. I mean, I have conversations and maybe you do too, where your clients are yelling at you or crying or pulling back the curtain and talking financials and things that are going on. And you realize it's a very like place of humble and honor when you're talking deep stuff with somebody else. It's their business and it's their baby, but it's also them. And so I know for me, every time that my brand grows and evolves, I'm growing and evolving. And a lot of times that's one of the things that brings me the most joy is when you do this work, when you spend time working on your brand, whether you hire somebody to do it or you do it yourself, use it as an opportunity to speak into reflect and go back to who am I? What am I really accomplishing? What is the value that I bring to the table? What is the impact? What problems am I trying to solve in the world? And I tell you, just like you said, when stuff dries up, when stuff gets hard, that's the thing that you keep coming back to is your brand and go, is this true? And if it's true, can I stand on that? Yeah. Oh, you've got so much wisdom and I feel like we could be like a Joe Rogan show and go for like four hours because <laughs> we like, I've got so, so much, much stuff fun, to talk about. You guys. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but I don't know if our listeners will listen to me as long as they'll listen Not to, nor uh, to me. The, no. <laughs> the weird psychedelic things that Rogan talks about. So why don't we, I've got so many other questions I want to talk to you about, but I'm going to kind of wrap up with a couple that I think are important. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about the book you're about to release? Because I think that's really important. Oh my gosh. If you'd asked me a year ago, if I had written a book, I would have laughed at you. I would have been like, that's the dumbest idea ever. Nobody <laughs> time for that, right? Like literally like that's stupid. Here I am though. I did get this impetus. I got this, you know, bee in my bonnet to finally take the whole brand approach that I've been doing for the last 10 years and actually write it in a very small, it's, it's like your pocket brand guide. It's a hundred pages. It's teeny, but all it's going to do is it's going to walk you through. How do you write your brand? 
How do you go through target audience analysis, tone of voice creation, personality traits, every piece of the brand trifecta, and then an entire implementation guide at the end of that book? What do you do with that brand now? How do I actually recommend you implement across all your digital tactics and in-person tactics? So my book, by the way, is called Muting the Megaphone. It comes out in July of 2022. It's really about the power of to stop telling stories and start having conversations. Again, it's trying to get you to think about your brand differently, where it's more about how am I layering each pest you know, layer of my brand architecture to compel a conversation versus trying to shout at my customer and my prospect, hoping that they're going to listen to me. That's going to be a great book. I'm excited <laughs> for it for you. I hope it's a small and mighty book. I hope people get value out of it. I mean, I have is it going to be paper? It. Is it going to be physical and digital? Yes, I'll have an ebook, audio book, and physical book. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, whenever it's released in a couple months, because well, at least from the time of this recording, it'll be a couple months away. I want to buy a bunch of physical copies and give it away to my clients because I think that that sounds pretty killer. I'd be so that's like a grateful great... and like blessed yeah. by that. So y'all, we can talk Seriously, about that. that sounds, Thank you. Sounds so cool. I mean, <laughs> I think that every business owner, whether they've rebranded or branding or they're new or they're 20 years in existence could probably benefit from just like reminding themselves like what they should be paying attention to. So I think that's a great resource for business owners. We've got to wrap things up with a business growth hack, which I think you've given us a billion and business growth hacks already. But if you could leave our listeners with one, something that they can do to position themselves for maybe better conversations yes. that will lead to profit, what would that be? I want you to take the time to look at your brand trifecta and ask yourselves the question, do I have a tagline that clearly states what I do? Do I have a value proposition statement that follows it up and says, here's how we solve your deepest pain? And then do I have a set of differentiators, the one, two, three, maybe four, of how you are different and better than the rest? And if you can build that, I promise you, you're going to see an increase in getting the right prospect to the right table at the right time. Kate, you're a legend. Um, I am so very grateful for you spending time with us today. This was so fun, you guys. Um, Oh my gosh, we could geek out for hours. (laughs) Podcasting's fun. This is fun. I love having conversations with people that like school me because I'm like... (laughs) No, I, I think got a I'm bunch of ideas here. <laughs> Mic drop. No, okay. Yeah, that's hysterical, yeah, you guys. Well, thanks for having really, me. Well, this has been awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you tell people how they can follow you, support you, your website, all please, those good yeah, things. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn, first of all. Oh, my goodness. Please find me. would love to get a message from you if you heard the show and you had a question or if you'd like to connect on a Zoom call to get to know each other. I'm always game to network. You can find me, Kate DeLeo, on LinkedIn. And then you can also, of course, check out my website, learn more about the book launch right there. It's www.katedeleo.com. Perfect. That's D-I-L-E-O. That is correct. Boom. We did it. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week on another episode of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. To get more marketing tips and tricks, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com.